Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Who here this morning likes receiving post? Likes receiving stuff through the letterbox? A couple of you, yeah. Um, Now that is a a very broad question um, because there are all sorts of things that you can get in the post. Um, Some of you, like James, were were very quick to say yes to that. Um, And this may come as a big shock to to some of you here, um, but I've actually received a parking fine in the post before. I'm also ashamed to say that I have also received um, a letter to inform me I was caught speeding once whilst on holiday in France. Now, those are not good letters to receive in the post. Uh, but some things are great to receive in the post. I remember uh, when I was a kid collecting like, those coupons on the back of cereal boxes and sending those off. I think I got like a model steam train or something in the post. But I just remember checking the post every day, every morning, until um, it finally arrived. That was good post to receive. Um, But I think the best kind of post has to be a handwritten letter. The feeling when you get home from holiday, kind of heaving that door open to push past all the junk mail, and then you spot there, in in amongst it all, a handwritten letter. That is a good feeling. Knowing someone has taken the time to think of you and write you a personal message. Now this morning, we are going to be continuing our new sermon series called Together in Christ, and that's focusing on the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians um, is a book in the Bible found in the New Testament, um, and it forms one of the epistles. Um, And the word epistle essentially means letter. So the epistles in the Bible are a selection of letters, um, and they actually make up 21 of the 27 books found in the New Testament. Um, And a lot of them are written by Paul, as is the case with Ephesians. So just to provide... Um, a brief background of Paul. Um, so he was, confusingly, he was originally called Saul, um, and he actually persecuted the early Christians until he had um, a miraculous encounter with Jesus and kind of turned his whole life around. Um, and you can read more about this conversion, his conversion, in the book of Acts. So the name of the epistle, so the name of the books, um, the letters in the Bible, um, usually give you an indication of who that particular letter was for. So for example, 1 and 2 Corinthians um, were written for the church in Corinth. Um, And Ephesians that we're looking at this morning um, is a letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus. So after Jesus had ascended to heaven, um, the early believers in that day began to to spread out, spread around, preaching um, the gospel and setting up new churches in different areas outside of Jerusalem. Very much like what we are doing at Christchurch Manchester with this church plant in Reddish. Now, the church in Ephesus um, is one that Paul had stayed at for three years on one of his trips. He preached there, he, te- he taught there, um, and, when, and later he finds himself in prison um, because of his faith. He'd been put in prison. He wrote a handwritten letter back to them, and this is the book of Ephesians. And as we'll see over the coming weeks, so this letter, um, the book of Ephesians, um, was not written to kind of confront any problems or issues in the church Um, as some of the other letters in the New Testament are. Um, This is one of those kind of good letters to receive. Um, It was written to encourage the churches in that area. Um, So today we're going to be looking at 
um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. Um, And I want to focus on three key themes that we see from Paul's prayer in this passage. And that is to know him better, know Jesus better, know the hope that we have, and know his power. So before we get stuck in, um, let's read this passage together. Um, so please either follow on in your Bibles, um, on your phone apps, or the verses will hopefully appear. Perfect. They're going to appear behind me um, for you to follow. So starting from verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So, a question for you this morning if you could spend a day with anyone in the world, past or present, who would it be? Maybe you would choose someone who has made a huge positive impact on human history. It might be Mother Teresa, uh, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King. Uh, perhaps it would be a scientist or an engineer such as Isaac Newton or Brunel. Um, maybe you'd like to spend some time with a famous singer like Beyonce um, or a world-class footballer like Alan Shearer. Sam's nodding. <laughs> um, for me, I think um, it would be cool to spend a day with Neil Armstrong the first human to take step on the moon. And if I was to ask everyone in the room, I think your answers would probably all be very varied who you would like to spend some time with. But if I was to ask you your reasoning to meet that person, I reckon the answer would probably be pretty similar for each of us. And that would be to get to know them better. To spend some time with them, to ask them questions, find out what they thought about things or how they dealt with certain situations, how they felt when they experienced success or failure in their life, to really get to know them. And there's only so much we can learn from someone, about someone, sorry, from um, biographies or historical data or social media. So reading such information will help you know a lot about someone, but it won't enable you to actually know them. So in my example, I found out a lot about Neil Armstrong through reading various books, watching documentaries. Um, I used to always love learning about space and the universe and rockets and things like that. However, if I was to actually spend time with him, I could find out from his perspective what it felt like to take those final few steps down that ladder. Ask him what the earth looks like from that far away. Ask him what the hardest part of that space mission was for him. Or ask him how long it had taken him to come up with his famous quote, this is one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Because you don't kind of think that kind of quote up just on the spot. So to really get to know someone, you need to spend time with them. There is no shortcut to that. So another question for you this morning. Do you really know Jesus or do you just know about him? Do you really know Jesus or do you just know about him? 
You see, knowing about him is good, but there is no substitute for really knowing him and having a personal relationship with him. So a few years back, I arranged um, an open evening at work for um, engineering students from the University of Manchester to come in, find a bit about our company, find about what um, opportunities that we offer. And I remember one student came over to me at the event um, and he started talking to me about the university that I'd been to. He started talking to me about my hometown. He even brought up the fact that I had a wife. And I was a little bit taken aback by this because um, I didn't know this student. I'd never met him before. And it suddenly dawned on me that I had officially been Facebook stalked. (laughs) And it was a very surreal experience. This guy had clearly done his research before the event, presumably wanting to connect with me, make a good impression, and apparently he knew a lot about me. But he didn't know me in the slightest. He didn't know what my passions were, what made me laugh, what pressures I was facing at the time. He didn't know how best I relaxed. He didn't know what my favourite pizza topping was. Now, in hindsight, um, I maybe should have put the pizza information on my Facebook account, because he was that keen, he probably would have bought a pizza along with him. (laughs) But the only way he could have found out about all those personal details about me would have been to spend time with me. And the same is true with our relationship with Jesus. Paul prays in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. His prayer is for wisdom and revelation for the believers, Or as the message translation puts it, that they would be discerning in knowing him personally. And this is more than just head knowledge about him. This is a closeness, a personal connection, where we experience him and his love for us. So don't misunderstand me here. So we should still be reading our Bibles to learn more about him. Uh, You may even be interested in studying theology to deepen that understanding. These are great things to do and great ways for us to know more about God. And the Gospels in particular share such wonderful information about how Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. Um, And we should 100% be studying and applying what we read in the Bible to learn about Jesus' character, aim to reflect him more. But my prayer is that of Paul's, that we as a church body would also know him personally. That we would spend time with him to pray, to listen, to be challenged by him, to revere him, to be inspired by him, to share what is on our hearts to invite Jesus into all areas of our life. That is what God is longing for. He's longing for our hearts. He's longing for us to come to him, to be honest with him, share our thoughts, our fears, our joys, our frustrations, the intricate details of our life, and let him walk with you and lead you through those things. So you may be thinking, this all sounds good, but how do I get to know Jesus personally when he isn't actually with us? So Jesus might not be physically with us, but he is with us in spirit. The Bible tells us that as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? His presence is always with you. And Psalm 139 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. So God's presence, his spirit, is always with us wherever we go. So have we tried getting to know Jesus personally? Have we given it a chance? Or are our lives uh, just too busy and filled with noise that we don't stop long enough to really have space to seek him?
So when I think back, the times when I've felt God's presence closest are the times that I've actually stopped. So usually on holiday or if I go out for a walk. One such time um, was actually when I was miles away from home um, by myself on a work trip in Hong Kong. um, And I was feeling pretty lonely at the time. Um, So I decided to go for a hike during the weekend and intentionally prayed aloud to God whilst I was walking. Um, I, I just find being in creation just a great way to know God near and know his presence. And it just felt, as I was walking, it just felt natural to talk with him, sharing my feelings, share how I was missing home, praying for the people that I loved. And I can honestly say that at that time, I just felt God's presence there walking with me. So are there things in our lives or schedules that we just need to cut back to allow us to get to know him better, to know him personally, to experience his presence? So I've heard of someone who would... Uh, make an extra coffee in the morning and place it across the table from them just to try and remind themselves that Jesus is there and to talk to to him as if he was sat opposite. Or someone else who has a particular chair that they always sit in to meet with Jesus. Or maybe if you're driving somewhere and the passenger seat is empty next to you, imagine Jesus being sat in the car with you. Talk to him as if a friend were sat there in the flesh. So this last week I've consciously tried to pray like this Um, whilst on my bus ride into work, um, imagining that Jesus was sat there next to me. And I'll be honest, it did feel a little bit weird at first, um, but there was something really helpful in reminding myself that Jesus was with me. Kind of from turning off the podcast or the music that I normally listen to, just the busyness that I normally fill myself with, um, and just spending time to, to listen and focus on his spirit with me. It gave me an opportunity to process my thoughts about the day ahead with him. And when I talk about listening to God and and hearing from him, um, I just want to say this is likely won't be um, a loud, audible voice that makes the earth shake. From my experience, and I know from a lot of others too, it will more often just be a quiet whisper, a stirring in your spirit, or just an unexplainable peace that you feel. And we read about this in 1 Kings 19, when um, God speaks to Elijah. It says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. So God was in the whisper. Again, are our lives too busy to hear God's gentle whisper above all the chaos and noise around us? Hello, Finley. (laughs) Um, We can be quick to define our faith by our actions or even our beliefs, or measure it based on how long we have spent reading the Bible that week. But at the centre is a relationship with Christ himself. And we have the opportunity to meet with Jesus every day, wherever we are. Not to push into that would be like me actually getting an opportunity to meet Neil Armstrong in the flesh. And to just say, nah, you know what, I'm okay. I've read enough about him in the, Bi- in, in the Bible. <laughs> I've read enough about him in books Um, I don't need to meet him. I'd encourage you this week, spend some time intentionally seeking to get to know Jesus better personally, to experience his presence. 
Maybe make that second coffee or sit in your favourite chair or go for a walk. There isn't a specific formula to follow. Whatever works best for you. But I'd encourage you to share what's on your heart and just leave space to hear from him, to hear God's whisper. So verse 18 continues. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his, of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And I love the NLT translation of this verse, which says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. Paul's prayer is that our hearts would be flooded with light so that we may know the hope to which he has called you and me, the hope of a glorious inheritance that awaits us, which is eternity in heaven. So Revelation 21 um, says... It, it describes what the new heaven and the new earth is, will be like. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. God's dwelling place will be among the people. He will dwell with us. Heaven truly is going to be a wonderful place. But I was previously challenged on this and asked whether I was just looking forward to heaven because of the good things that are going to be there. So the no more pain, the no more tears, the no more death. And these are fantastic things and we should be excited about them. But if we are just focusing on these things, then we are missing the greatest part about heaven. The greatest part about heaven is that we get to be with Jesus. This should be our greatest longing. This should be our greatest excitement when we think about heaven. We get the privilege of dwelling in his presence, bowing down and worshipping before his throne and actually walking with him. It'd be like me saying to Roslyn when I got married to her that the thing that I was looking forward to most was her belongings. What's mine is yours now, right? So we both just graduated when we got married. So the reality was we just inherited each other's student loans. Um, But that's not the point. My point is when I married Rosalind, I was marrying her because I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. I wanted to do life with her. I wanted to live under the same roof as her, share experiences and adventures with her. This should be the same with our relationship with Jesus. We should be getting excited about heaven and the glorious inheritance we will receive because ultimately we get to dwell with him, we get to walk with him and worship before him. As David says in Psalm 27, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. So I just encourage us now just to take a couple of minutes to sit and reflect on heaven. Reflect on what it will be like, what you will feel. And I love the lyrics to the song, I Can Only Imagine by Mercy Me. I'm just going to read some of the lyrics now, but just just take this time just to reflect on heaven. So lyrics say, I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? 
Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. So as Christians, we should often reflect on heaven, reminding ourselves of that glorious inheritance that awaits us, imagining what it will be like to be surrounded by God's glory. And having this hope should impact how we live here on earth as well. We should run the race here on earth with our eyes fixed on Jesus and fixed on eternity with him. Knowing this hope can change our relationships here on earth, how we love people, how we invest in others. It can change how we view money or possessions actually as temporary, with much greater things awaiting us in heaven. It can change how we spend our time, not wanting to waste opportunities we are presented with during this limited time here on earth. And it can also help carry us through the current challenges we face on earth. The passage in Revelation goes on to say, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And we can come up against so many challenges whilst on earth and there is so much sadness, so much pain, so much suffering in the world around us. I just wanted to say to anyone this morning facing a challenging situation or carrying the weight of past hurt or disappointment, this is not how God intended things to be. This is not how God designed it. He created the world perfect. And if you believe in Jesus, believe that he was the son of God and believe that he died to take the penalty for every time you and others make a mistake and that he rose again victoriously, then the Bible promises that one day we will be with Jesus in a new heaven and a new earth, free from pain, free from sickness, free from death. And it will be like those first images we read about in Genesis where God walked closely with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. A truly glorious inheritance awaits us. Personally, I cannot wait for that day. So let's often reflect on heaven, on that glorious inheritance, and let our hearts be flooded with the hope that it brings. So Paul continues in verse 19 to 20, praying that the church might know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So we are to know his incomparably great power for us. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me and it lives in you. It's easy to quickly say that and it pass over your head, so I'm going to say it again. The same power that conquered the grave lives in you. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that? The same power that rolled back the huge boulder in front of the tomb, the same power that ripped the huge temple curtain in two from top to bottom, the same power that made the whole earth shake, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead and once and for all defeated death, allowing Jesus to declare, it is finished. That same power lives in you. Take a moment just to let that sink in. And when I say the temple curtain was torn in two, it's very important to understand the significance of that. That curtain was the curtain to the inner section of the temple where previously God's holy holy presence had dwelt and only one special person was allowed to go into that inner section and only once a year. So why did the temple curtain tear in two? It was symbolising that God's presence was no longer found in a building. 
He wasn't confined to that temple. God's presence now dwells among us, his people, his church. The God that created the universe lives in me and he lives in you. Let me say that again. The God that created the universe lives in you. Again, it's easy for that to go in one ear and out the other. So let's just think about that for a minute. The whole universe. So I think we've got a picture, hopefully, of us here in Reddish. So here is Broadstone Hall Primary School. So this is where we are sat this morning. So if we zoom out a little bit from this, this is kind of Reddish, Heaton Chapel. You might be able to spot your house on there. And if we go out a little bit further, this is Manchester. So we can kind of still see Stockport on there around where we are. So we're going to keep going here, so don't get too motion sick on me. This is the UK. So if we keep zooming out, so this is Europe. And if we keep going, so this is the whole world. So it kind of makes you feel a little bit small, right? And now none of us need to meet Neil Armstrong because we've all just experienced what the Earth looks like from far away. But if the Earth was the size of this golf ball, so just imagine yourself somewhere on this golf ball. So this is the Earth. The sun, our sun, would be 15 feet in diameter in comparison to this. So that's like two and a half of me as the width of the sun in comparison to this. So to put that into perspective, I'm going to ask James, if you're all right, to come, glamorous assistant, to come down. And uh, if you take that tape measure and walk that way until you get to 15 feet, keep going, you'll be going away. There we go. So if I hold the golf ball, so this is, this is the earth. In comparison, our sun is this in diameter. So think of a huge circle with that as a diameter. That's in comparison to the earth. So our sun is a massive star. Thank you. And our sun is one of hundreds of billions of stars that are part of our Milky Way galaxy, which is only part of the whole universe that God has made. And the sun isn't even one of the biggest stars out there. There's one I've recently discovered called Betelgeuse. I mean, I, I didn't actually just discover it. Um, I'm, I'm more, more I've just recently learned about it. Um, so Betelgeuse is actually twice the size of not just the, the sun. Betelgeuse is twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun. So my brain can't even comprehend how big that is. And yet the Bible tells us that God spoke and the universe was created. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. And I love how in the creation story in Genesis, it's just like a passing comment. Oh, and God made the stars. We worship a God who breathed and stars were formed. Stars the size of the sun, stars the size of Betelgeuse, and that same power lives in you. So why am I telling you all this? Why have I brought a golf ball and a tape measure uh, with me this morning? Why am I drilling home the point that we have an immensely powerful God that dwells in us by his spirit? Knowing this power in us should mean we are quick to turn to prayer. Whatever we are facing, we have a God who is bigger. When you begin to pray, just take a moment to think back to this golf ball, the size of the sun in comparison, and God just breathing it into being. That is the powerful God you are praying to. And knowing this about God's character, his incredible power, 
gives us greater confidence, greater faith when we pray. And our God is not just some distant God. He is a personal God who loves us deeply and cares for us. In the Old Testament, we we read about God saying to Moses, take off your shoes, come no closer because I am a holy God. And when meeting God on the mountain, the people were not allowed to step foot on the hill because of God's holiness. But through what Jesus has done on the cross, we can now know God personally. James 4.8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. What was previously a come no closer is now come into my presence. Through Jesus' victory over death, we can now draw near to God. Paul's prayer was that the church would be empowered in Christ. My prayer for us this morning is that we would be empowered in Christ. Empowered to pray bold prayers, empowered to pray big prayers, empowered to pray seemingly impossible prayers. But not just to pray for these things, to be expectant for God to move, expectant for him to show up and demonstrate his might and his power. So let us remember that Jesus has power over all things. And for those that believe in him, we have a glorious inheritance that awaits us, eternity with him. So as I come to a close, I just want to say, if you are hearing me say this about knowing Jesus personally, knowing his power, spending eternity with him, and you haven't yet made a personal commitment to follow him, and you would like to, then we would absolutely love to pray with you at the end of the service. I just wanted to say we aren't guaranteed an easy life as a Christian. Actually, far from it. But we are guaranteed his presence with us and his power with us.